Thanks for listening and thanks for your interest in learning from mistakes. I'm Mark Rabin. Did you know I can help your organization on this journey of cultivating a culture of learning and innovation? I can be a trainer, coach, and advisor on topics including psychological safety, problem solving, and continuous improvement. I can add value to your management team meetings by speaking and facilitating discussions on these important topics. To learn more, visit markgraben.com or email me, mark at markgraben.com. Let's improve together. Episode 184, Brian Clayton, co-founder and CEO of GreenPal. Ooh, my favorite mistake. Uh, It's hard to pick one, but... I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about Brian and his company, GreenPal, look for links in the show notes or go to markraven.com slash mistake184. Hi, everybody. Welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven. We're joined today by Brian Clayton. He's the co-founder and CEO of GreenPal. It's an online marketplace that connects homeowners with local lawn care professionals. GreenPal has been called the Uber for lawn care by Entrepreneur Magazine. And they have over 100,000 active users completing thousands of transactions per day. So before I tell you a little bit more about Brian, welcome to the show, Brian. How are you? Mark, thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. Yeah, I hope those numbers, maybe those numbers have grown uh, since your bio was written, but it's at least that many users, that many transactions, right? That's right. Yeah, actually, we're, we're up almost up to 300,000 users using the platform. So probably, I probably need to update that bio. <laughs> Or that's, uh, yeah, we'll make sure the uh, the show notes reflect uh, the growth there. So um, before starting GreenPal a decade ago, uh, Brian founded Peachtree Inc., which was one of the largest landscaping companies in Tennessee. He grew it to over 150 people and $10 million a year in annual revenue before it was acquired in 2013. So Brian's an interest uh, and expertise related to entrepreneurship and small business growth, marketing. Uh, and bootstrapping businesses from uh, zero revenue uh, to profitability and uh, an exit. So uh, we'll get to talk more about GreenPal and, and your different experiences. But you know, from all the things you've done in your career, Brian, um, I'm really curious to hear uh, about your favorite mistake. Ooh, my favorite mistake. Uh, it's hard to pick one, but one mistake that I, that we made starting GreenPal. Uh, was almost, uh, it was naivete as an asset. So when we started the business, you know, I sold my landscaping company and, and uh, I thought I, ha- I had this idea for uh, an app should exist for hiring lawn mowing services. There should be like an Uber app for lawn care. And my mistake was I thought all we had to do was just pay a dev shop to build what we thought GreenPal should be and we would market it and be off and going. And we would do the marketing and business ops and we could outsource the tech. 
And that turned out to be a big mistake. It uh, took us, uh, cost us $150,000 with a dev shop, and it took them nine months uh, to build what, what we thought Green Palace should be. And we launched it, and it was a total failure. Uh, it didn't have the features it needed. It was clunky. It was hard to use. It was confusing, poorly designed. Uh, it didn't work, quite frankly. And, uh, and we had to start all over. So we wasted... 150 grand, almost a year, and probably wasting the time was the biggest mistake. Um, and so, big mistake. Looking back, it's, it's kind of it's kind of a, as silly as um, wanting to open a restaurant, but you don't have a chef, as, mm. and you've never yeah. cooked anything in your life. You have no recipes. Yeah. You don't even like cooking. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're really good at the microwave, and you've seen cooking shows, but but you start you want to start a restaurant. So that was a big mistake. But 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 it got us in the game, and here we are, ten years later. We're a ten-year overnight success, and we learned how to code and built the software ourselves. <laughs> wow! So thank you for sharing that, Brian. And you know, I'd like to dig um, you know into that story a little bit more. I mean, it's great to hear that it wasn't a fatal mistake as far as the business went that you were able to um, adjust, recover, and, and move forward. So that's good. First off, yeah, I think. You know, business is a series of going from one failure to the next without a loss of enthusiasm. And so you're going to make mistakes. You're going to you're going to screw up, try to learn from them and keep going. I think uh, as an entrepreneur, as a founder, you want to make mistakes, but you want to want to avoid the risk of ruin. So don't just put all your chips in this. So so for us, like the, what would have made it a fatal mistake would have been. Um, if we had spent every last dime we had to our name and uh, maybe had borrowed the money from a loan shark or something. And, 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 and then we would have had to go get like day jobs to, to pay it back or something. So, so I think you, you want to like leverage, but not leap. And, and so that was what causes it to not be fatal. And, you know, with a lot of mistakes, I mean, we only find it, we find out in hindsight that, it was a mistake. We make the decision we make at the moment because we think it's a good decision or the right decision, if not the best decision. Where I'm, you know, I'm curious, uh, you know, this is a question of curiosity, not beating you up for this. Where did you get the idea that you could outsource the tech and then focus on the marketing and the ongoing operations? I think it was there wasn't like validation for this. You know, we didn't we didn't like say, oh, well, look, you know. Uh, the Airbnb guys didn't know how to code and they just outsourced it and they got rich and we could do that. Like there was, there was no, like, there was no, there was no parallel example that it did work. Um, I think for us, it was very much wishful thinking. Um, we didn't want to do the hard work of, of learning how to develop software. That really sucked. It took, and it took like three years. It was really hard. And so there was that. And then um, the, the people we were talking to were like, oh, yeah, you could totally pay us to, to do this. And and we can handle it. You handle the business. We'll handle the tech. And so we were kind of seduced by that. It wasn't their fault. Uh, it was really kind of our fault. But, but yeah, it was uh, very much wishful thinking, I guess you could say. And what was the, do you remember the first inkling of realizing, oh, no, this isn't working out was it after the nine months when the quote-unquote final is as, as final as software ever is 
the final product got delivered or were, were, were you starting to wonder along the way if, if they were going to be able to deliver something that really worked? It was, it was pretty clear that we screwed up. Uh, cause the first, the, like first off, never would have done it if I knew it was going to take nine months. Uh, cause that was just too long. Uh, so it was supposed to have been a four month engagement and it kept on dragging on and on and on. And, uh, and then, and then they would give it to us to test, and and it just it just didn't feel right. It didn't, it and it, so so you can sit here and like walk through the workflow, and you know you're no expert, but you can see there's a hundred changes that need to be made, and so so you request these changes, and they say, okay, well that's a change order, and that's going to be another twenty grand, and you're like, I'm going to get twenty thousand dollars to death on this thing, and 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 I'm going to be uh, seventy eight years old by the time we get a product into the market, and so became pretty clear and i believe that i knew that it wasn't going to work uh halfway through but at that point it was like the sunk cost fallacy mm, and yeah. and uh we were already like you know 100 g's in with them already six months in with them I, at that point i just wanted to get something into the market to where i could get some feedback from some users and then use that to like build it again and that's what we did we we ended up getting it done, I guess, so to speak, and launching that. And it wasn't like it was this huge launch. We, we put it into the market and, and uh, hustled up 100 people to use it mm-hmm. and then used that feedback to rewrite the whole thing from scratch ourselves from user feedback. And yeah, that, that's a different approach. I think that's, that's a typical software development approach, whether it's through, um, I don't know if you're, you're familiar with, there, there's a methodology called the Lean Startup. Absolutely. So yeah, the lean startup and the startup owner's manual is, is another book uh, written by a guy by the name of Steve Blank, who is Eric Reese's, uh, I guess you could say mentor. And those two books, you know, thousand pages or, you know, those guys each wrote two books. And so a thousand pages of text basically beats into your head. One thing, which is get out of the building, go talk to early adopting users and use that feedback to build something that people will actually want to use. And it seems pretty commonsensical, but most people don't do it and we didn't <laughs> right. do it. And the approach we were taking with a dev shop was the, the antithesis to the lean startup. It was exactly the opposite. It was uh, let's get, let's get four guys in a room and dream up what we think a thing should be and like create this spec doc and waterfall process and like go to work. And then like in nine months, we'll start to get the first uh, bit of customer feedback. Whereas you really want to get some kind of thing into the marketplace, get some close the gap between where you're at and a product in customers' hands and then get that feedback, start building something that people want, even if it's just a prototype will save you a lot of, lot of headache. And it, it may save you a decade of building stuff that nobody wants. Yeah. And, and that's something Eric Reese talks about a lot of, you know, not losing uh, money and time as uh, an entrepreneur, but he uses that same language. Don't waste the time of developers building something that, that nobody is going to use. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you got exposed to that and you learned from, you know, the first iteration to, to go about it that way. Like what, roughly speaking, what was the minimum viable product, if you will? What was that first prototype or first version of the software in terms of features that, that was right to get started? 
yeah, we knew we it, it was it's, it really is minimum viable mm-hmm. product because yeah. uh, oh, uh what what what's what's the LinkedIn guy's name? Uh it'll come to me. Uh Reed Hoffman. Right. Uh, Reed Hoffman says that if you're not embarrassed by your first version, you waited too long. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of the threshold. Just embarrassed enough. But it has to it has to work and it has to have the minimum feature set. So for us, we knew we had to have something where homeowners could jump on an app, request quotes, compare quotes, hire somebody, and then pay them and schedule them again. Um, we had to have at least that. And then on the vendor side, we, we knew we could kind of hand crank that, um, and like literally like spoof that almost. And, 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 and so if you only have 10 vendors, you can like run a schedule for them and call them and tell them where they need to be and, and like handle the, the photo upload for them. Like you can, so we did all that. We hand cranked the vendor side and, and nailed the, you know, got the customer experience uh, kind of dialed in. Now we have thirty-two thousand vendors, but back then we had ten, and, and 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 so and so that's how we did it. We we knew we needed to nail the consumer side, and 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 we spent like two years doing that, building out the the the, the homeowner side, and then from the uh, feedback we were getting from suppliers is how we built up the supplier side. And so, so what you're what I hear you saying, and and. and people who might not be familiar with this approach, what, correct me if I'm wrong, but what I hear you saying, Brian, is um, from the vendor side, a lot of that was being done very manually, if you will, behind yes. the scenes. Um, and, and, and then as you, you know, develop some of the methodology of how to do that, you could then code it in a way that was more scalable. It was code, yeah, and, and code the, build the right thing. You know, build what people wanted Rather than like building this feature set that that you know I, I had 15 years of landscaping experience I knew what service providers wanted and needed but but still I wasn't like I wasn't like all all knowing I wasn't omniscient I didn't know exactly you know what what you know 32,000 different lawn mowing services wanted so we built it uh, baked in what they're telling us every day and and what they wish it would do and what tools they needed and 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 so for service providers it's 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 one platform that they plug into and it run they can run their whole business so everything from quoting and getting new yards really quickly to getting paid within 24 hours to marketing automation crm scheduling routing organizing everything it's like they can run their business 10 times more efficient on top of green pal and that's the value we add to them and then for homeowners they can hire these folks right off the shelf much like you would you know get food from doordash or buying something on Amazon. It's, it's, it's how it should be. Yeah. And so as the, the company has grown and you're a decade into it, Brian, you know, like what, what's your mindset around mistakes that might happen in the business today? How do you, how do you treat those? How do you, what, what's your philosophy on mistakes as you keep going? The way I look at it is, is, uh, is like the creative process of, of starting a business and scaling a business is 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 not like chess uh, it's more like poker so so uh you know in chess you can always like rewind the game and like pinpoint the exact moment that's where you screwed up and that you should have done this and uh 
and 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 you and you can learn from that and like that's how chess like progresses whereas poker a lot of times it's this was all the information i had at to my disposal at disposal at that moment and i made about the best call that i could and i made the best but i could i can't beat myself up i played that hand how i should have played it it didn't work out but i but i still played it how i should have played it and so i think startups and founders are and, and founding a business is like is like poker and less like chess and so you know, I'm not a huge poker poker guy, but I I know that you you can play it. You know, you play that you play the hands. You know how they should be played, and sometimes it doesn't work out, and that's just the way it is. And that's how founding a business is. It's funny. I heard a similar analogy very recently. Uh, not to get too sidetracked on it, but uh, an interview with Gary Kasparov, the legendary chess master, and awesome. talking talking about you know geopolitical dynamics and you know Russia and Ukraine and and, and heady stuff. Apologize for bringing that up, but he was asked about you know geo- geopolitical chess moves, and he said no, 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 no. He he brought up the poker analogy because he says awesome. when you when you play chess, all of the information you could possibly need is right there, visible. It's right there on the board. Whereas poker, like you said, you don't know uh, what cards are about to be if you're playing Texas Hold'em. What cards are laying there? You don't know what cards the other um, players have. I guess would be that's right. That's right, and you. A lot of times it's gut. A lot of times, you know, you're you're making you're making calculations on the fly. You know, you have the you have you have data in, in startup land, and you, you use that, and, and you also use the, the qualitative uh, feedback from from your from your customers, and and you make your bets, and you try not to run the risk of ruin. You don't you don't bring your house deed to the table, um, and uh, and and run the risk of ruin. Although sometimes people do that, it pays off. I mean. Look at Elon Musk, the world's richest man. That that guy, you know, uh, went to zero a couple times. I mean, I know if I had two hundred million dollars, I wouldn't ever want to go to zero. And, and he did that after PayPal, and and uh, so it pays off. He, 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 he bet it all on SpaceX. Started, yeah. yeah, yeah, and you know, I mean, when it works out, it looks great. And but, as the uh, as well as 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 we record this on uh, May thirteenth, between recording and release, we'll see what happens with Twitter and with Tesla. That's all very up in the air right now at this recording. Be interesting to see, yeah. <laughs> I think today uh, he said he didn't want it anymore, <laughs> or he's 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 it's on pause, but he still wants it. That's yeah, he, he didn't want the bots. <laughs> that's what he says today. But um, you know, so Brian, I mean, you know, your story here with Green Pal. You know, it's, I, I appreciate it because it, it's, it's a story of bouncing back from the first mistake, learning from that, doing things differently. Um, I also wanted to ask you a little bit about lessons learned from your first company, um, from, from Peachtree. Um, when, when, when we talked previously, um, you, you brought up the idea of company culture. And I was wondering if you could share some reflections on what you learned from the first go around that, that you you've learned from and, and tried to do differently with green pal. Yeah. You know, as a founder of a business, you get exactly the company culture you deserve. And so you get exactly the vibe, the enthusiasm, uh, from your people that, that you deserve. It's an extension of you. And, uh, in my first business, I grew it to over 150 folks and, and uh, I think it was year seven or eight. I didn't know what the hell I was doing the whole way through. I made every mistake you could make and you tried to fix it along the way. And, and I had, I was driving to the office and I just did not want to go there. 
Um, I, you know, I, I, I didn't like a lot of the people that worked for me. Um, I didn't, I just was pissed off. Um, and it was, it was just a, not a toxic environment. And I, and I, I felt like victimized almost. I felt like, wow, uh, this sucks. Uh, why, why do I have to do this? What, what have I done here? And, and what did I realize is you built this. This is exactly what you deserve. You know, you, you, you deserve the environment that you created. And it, it took me a long time to, to really kind of self-reflect and realize all the mistakes I made, whether it was my attitude sucked or the enthusiasm I was bringing sucked, or I didn't make it a fun place to work, or I hired the, these people that weren't good fits and kept them on. And then those people that weren't good fits were cancer to the rest of the people that were good and they left. And so, and so uh, I had to fix a lot of these things little by little and make it a, a fun place to work. Uh, and it took probably three years and uh, but I'm glad I did it because it made me a better leader. It, it, it made, made it to where it was an, a fun place to, 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 to work, to, to run. Those people became my uh, family almost. When I sold the business, it was like one of the hardest things I ever had to do. And uh, it, it took a lot of tactical things, a lot of, you know, it took a lot of me reading every John Maxwell book I could ever get my hands on, things like that. And, and, and uh, in a way, looking back 15 years later, I'm glad it happened because, you know, that's how I learned how, my leadership style. Learning leadership through mistakes, it sounds like. Yeah, and hopefully and, and you books. don't. Yeah, 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 and hopefully you don't screw it up too bad to where you can't fix it. Because I think you mm-hmm. can. Um, I, th- I think you can screw it up to where it can't be fixed. But I was able to 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 correct it over two or three years. Fix it. So are there? So it, it seems like that's something you're you're very mindful of now with Green Pal of thinking about yeah. how the culture is evolving. Right. First thing I didn't want to mess up. Um, and, uh, and, and it's different because in the first business I had a hundred, hundred plus people, second green pals now 47. And it's, it's a different type of, of teammate because the first business was like a construction company. So it was very much like, like blue collar, uh, a laborer type types of, of, of staff. Whereas the second business is more knowledge workers, you know, engineers, developers, uh, designers, people that move pixels around, um, data, data scientists, um, you name it. So it's different in terms of how you recruit and how you, and how you challenge, you know, how do you motivate? And, and, um, for me, you know, I, I, I am very, very, very like, uh, scared to make bad hires because when you make a bad hire, it's, you know, it, you know, you hire fast and fire faster, but that's easier said than done. It's, it's really hard to, to let somebody go after you've screwed up and brought them on. So now um, what I try to do is, is I try to date before I marry. And, and so what I mean by that is like, let's just work together on a project basis for a couple months and let's, uh, let's bring you on. And then if that works, then, then let's bring you on on a, on a, uh, on a, on a one month basis to see how that goes. And then let's check in, let's do three months. And then if that goes well and, it, and it's working, then let's, let's, let's move into a full-time formalized thing. And that's worked well for me. I look for a certain type of people. Like I, I look for like somebody who has like a chip on their shoulder almost like, like I don't, like I don't want the guy or gal. I don't want the guy that was like the high school uh, quarterback who was, 
like uh, popular in high school and everybody loved him. Like I want the guy uh, that that was uh, that maybe didn't get a date to prom or <laughs> or backup uh, quarterback. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe yeah. he didn't even make the team and uh, and has and is and 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 from that um, something has, de- has developed something to prove to the world. And that's the way he or she is and will always will be. And the project they are working on is that thing. Like, I guess I, I, you've, you've met people like this who, who just, like, pour their soul into what it is they're working on because that's the way they win at life. I mean, that's, that's the way I am. And, and, you know, my businesses have always been that way. And I have always had a chip on my shoulder. And so I look at people who are kind of like that, look for people that are kind of like that, and and and... It's hard to find, but when you get those types of people in a room together, it really, it really works well. And so I'm, I, I guess I'm more or less scared of screwing that up again. And so that's why I'm, I move slower than I probably should with, with hiring. And it sounds like what you're saying around the quote unquote dating um, of the new employee, um, that, that probably that, that reduces some of the risk of a bad decision. Yes. Of, of, of and also if we have a big like gaping hole and need, we can still get stuff done. Just not with people that we bring onto the bus, you know, like we, we can still get stuff done on, on a contract basis, on a freelance basis. Um, but for people that we bring in, in, into the team and into the family, that's a big, that's a, that's a big gap. And, and so we don't, we don't like let a spot go unfilled for like six months. Like if we needed somebody to, to really take, take our, our SDO uh, by the range or something like that. We'll rely on contractors for as long as we have to until we find the right fit that we're going to hire to bring in-house. So one mistake I made up front in introducing uh, our guest today, Brian Clayton, his company is GreenPal. The website is www.yourgreenpal.com. So I apologize for not mentioning that up Either front. Either one. Yeah, or, greenpal.com. Or greenpal.com. Yeah. Yeah, either my, one. My mistake on not double checking that. So thank you. No worries. Yeah, either <laughs> either one will get you there. All right. Well, good. Yeah, it's good that greenpal.com uh, gets you there. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about the business about GreenPal, um, for, for those of us uh, who have lawns and have hired um, you know, a contractor or a company uh, to work with us, what are some of the mistakes that uh, homeowners make in hiring a lawn care company? Some of those mistakes that GreenPal helps them avoid. Yeah, it's it's like we live in this Uber like world, Amazon like world, where the uh, one of my favorite quotes is, is Jeff Bezos' quote, and he says, "The thing I love about the customer is that they are uh, relentlessly discontent," mm-hmm. and and so homeowners will carry this this mentality or uh, that they have from like I pushed a button and. I ordered a box of toothpicks on Amazon and it showed up in an hour free shipping. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so they, they, they think that they should be able to hire a home service contractor in the same fashion. And it's very different. Like this, like if you hire a plumber or a pool guy or a lawn guy, it's not a, like the plumber is not a skew. Uh, this is a human being that, that has to charge you, <laughs> you know, by the hour that, and so, and so there, there's a, there is there is a uh, a gap, I guess you could say, uh, of of expectation versus reality. Now that said, it's our 
job, our app's job to close that gap as much as we can to make it magical in nature by, by making it a lot more efficient to, to conduct this, this service on top of our technology. So homeowners, if the mistake that they make a lot is, is uh, they just think they should be able to sit back, kick back and just, just hire somebody and they'll, they'll show up and give them a free estimate within 20 minutes of calling them. And, <laughs> and, uh, and then they hire them. They show up tomorrow morning at seven o'clock on the dot. That's not the yeah. way it works. So, right. so, uh, you know, broaden your expectations, um, manage your own expectations. And the more time you can save a home service provider, the better experience you will have. And so this doesn't matter if you want to hire a, a pool contractor or a landscaper or somebody to fix the hole in your roof. If you can, like, uh, I don't know, take pictures, videos of whatever the hell it is mm-hmm. and text that to mm-hmm. uh, the contractor, uh, a lot of times they can quote you something over the phone mm. um, without having nice. to come out to your yard or come out to your home uh, the, the the same day or next day. So um, my advice is put yourself in the shoes of the contractor you're looking to hire. They can make your life a lot easier if you can make their life easier mm-hmm. to help 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 them help you. Yeah. And, you know, some of these companies or um, contractors are very busy these days people are you know have been doing pandemic um, home projects while they're there and uh, yeah I, I you know it, it can be difficult to find somebody sometime I, I use uh, a company uh, to do my lawn uh, in Texas it's 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 a company and I think it helps avoid the mistake of hiring uh, a guy with a lawnmower like it's a company with insurance and you know everything is um, you know being taken care of properly, but but Jimmy is the the owner. He's the guy I deal with, so I'm going to personify the company as Jimmy. And you know I've talked to Jimmy, and he says you know he's he's been so busy that he's actually having to turn down yep new work, which makes it hard. I'm glad I'm glad to have him, and I want to keep Jimmy and his team. But um, I, I'm I'm wondering if part of the value proposition for somebody like Jimmy, if they're using GreenPal at some point. Do you help them if they're in a position where they can pick and choose their customers, picking customers that are kind of in a better geographical location so that they're spending less time driving around town and more time doing work that gets them paid? Yeah. So the reality is if Jimmy has more than one employee, Jimmy hates Green Pal. And here's why. Um, (laughs) Because if you're working for Jimmy, he's paying you 15, maybe $20 an hour. Uh, to go out and take care of, of your property. Um, and then, and what happens is, and, and this could be, Jimmy probably has a lot of trouble and problems finding good employees and keeping them. That's his constraint in bringing on new yeah. customers. Unfortunately for Jimmy, GreenPal has even more pressure because if you work for Jimmy, why is he going to work for you for $20 an hour when he can download GreenPal and make $75 mm-hmm. an hour because now he's in business for himself. Oh, interesting. And okay. So, so we have 30,000 plus service providers that are one man, one woman operators. Sometimes they have a helper or two, but your big companies that are five, 10, 20 people don't get any value out of our platform because they already have their systems. They already, already have their processes. Um, it's kind of like the big taxi cab company with the fleet of yellow cabs doesn't really like the fact that anybody with a Toyota Camry can now compete with them. Ah, and, right. and so it's the same, it's the same type of uh, disruption 
I guess you could say. Not that there's any kind of like lawn mowing mafia that that owns the lawn mowing business. There isn't. It's very fragmented. But we ha- we add even more pressure on on to those those mid level operators. Now, if they maintain commercial properties or really super high end homes, that's not the space we compete in. Um, we we more or less compete in your super basic services. You know, your every week, every two week mowings that are like thirty five bucks. And a lot of contractors don't even want to mess with that stuff. A big channel for us is big landscaping contractors who, who who get like 10 phone calls a day and they don't want to go do the basic like $28 line mowing. Mm-hmm. They say, hey, just download GreenPal. You'll find a great, <laughs> great small operator uh, to take care of. I swear, like, like that's where a mm-hmm. lot of a lot of our traffic comes from. Interesting. And so yeah, thank you for clarifying some of that. You know, well, you you it's your business. So thankfully you understand who your customers are and what your business model is and, and what those customers need. So you know, back to the introduction, that that does make a lot more sense of why Entrepreneur Magazine called you the Uber for lawn care. It helps connect more individual to individual. That's right. That's right. And makes it a lot easier to do it versus the old way. Because if you're a homeowner, finding uh, Peter in a pickup, uh, Chuck in a truck, uh, Believe it or not, Molly and a mower. We have a lot of female-led uh, uh, vendors, and they actually uh, statistically do a better job and, and have happier customers. Um, and uh, it's it can be a pain in the butt because you don't like they don't have a web presence, they don't have a receptionist, they don't have somebody to pick up when you call, they don't have like a billing system, and so GreenPal solves all that, enables you to kind of hire them off the shelf quickly schedule them, get pricing, book them, pay them, and then set it and forget it. And GreenPal makes all that happen for you. And that's one of the drawbacks of working with a smaller provider versus a Jimmy. Like you said, I, you know, he's a professional company. He's got great, he's got insurance. He's got, he's got great trucks and uniforms and stuff. I don't have to worry about all this other stuff. And so we close the gap between the smaller service provider and, and that guy to give mm-hmm. you kind of even better experience at a better price is, is where we exist. Because, you know, there's certain advantages to, to working uh, with the Jimmy or maybe even through an app. We get so used to just uh, paying for everything through our phones. Jimmy sends me an invoice, a couple taps. I pay with Apple Pay. Where in the past, if I, if I was using, you know, basically a guy with a truck and a mower, having to leave a check under the doormat. Yeah. If, I, if I'm not home and then I, you know, I want to yep. make sure uh, he got paid. And so for a bunch of reasons, I switched over to... Uh, a company. And I guess those are the things those of us on the consumer side are, are trying to navigate. Yep, exactly. And a lot of times, um, you know, if, if, if Jimmy, for whatever reason, uh, contra- you know, scales his business back or no longer services your part of town or something, a lot of times homeowners get displaced. Now they got to go look for a long guy uh, or the long guy they had flaked on them, disappeared. And then, so they, they arrived, they never heard of green pal. But they do a search for lawn mowing service nearby me in, I don't know, Lincoln, Nebraska. And, and we pop up as an option for them. They're like, oh, what the hell is this? Let me try this. And then, and then they're quick. Oh, yeah. Now, this, this, is, this is the way to do this. Um, so so it's, a lot of times it's uh, somebody already had a lawn, lawn guy, but they disappeared or flaked or went out of business. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we come in. Well, I, I hope not to lose Jimmy and his team. But uh, yeah, if, hopefully if, not. if I do, um, I... Now that I know about GreenPal, I'll go uh, definitely go check you out and uh, encourage people to do that here as we're getting into uh, the summer season. And uh, we're, we're hopefully looking at nice lawns that, uh, you know, given conditions in our area are 
you know, watered responsibly and appropriately. And, you know, I've had, you know, long guy point out, Hey, you're, you're overwatering, which is not just a waste yeah. of water, but uh, not good for the lawn. So uh, having someone who can point out the mistakes you might be making as a homeowner, very, very helpful. Definitely don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Brian, thank you so much again. Our guest has been uh, Brian Clayton, co-founder and CEO of uh, GreenPal, you know, multiple times entrepreneur, growing different businesses. You know, I, I really appreciate because it, you know, the, the, the stories and the reflections you shared, it, you know, it goes to show that, you know, people who have been successful are, are learning from their mistakes. And, and, and thank you for being so open about that. Well, thank you, Mark. And thanks for having me on your show. I had fun today. Well, again, thanks so much to Brian Clayton for being here today. For links and a transcript and show notes and more, look in your app in the show notes there or go online to markgraben.com slash mistake 184. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work, and they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.